0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 175 of F-STOP Collaborate and Listen. This week's episode features a photographer from Germany. His multicultural background and laid-back attitude lend to a fantastic body of amazing imagery. Welcome Felix Inden to the show. Felix was born in Spain, raised in Chile and Germany, and has a healthy obsession with photographing above the Arctic Circle. Felix also has a massive following over on Instagram, where he showcases his wonderful photography from those amazing places. Felix and I discussed some really interesting topics, including how he got his start in landscape photography, balancing a full-time job with part-time professional photography, stories of photographing above the Arctic Circle and Lofoten, the Faroe Islands, and all those kinds of awesome places, his views and thoughts as an international photographer, Uh, Something we both belong to known as Global Elite Photographer, building his Instagram following, and much more. Over on Patreon this week, you can support the podcast and listen to Felix and I talk about the challenges and rewards of creating video content for a new YouTube channel he's working on. Well, before I get started, I wanted to let you know about a special offer that I have over on Patreon. Right now, you can pledge for a full year at a time and save 15% on your Patreon membership. Existing Patreon members can do it as well. I think this is a great way to support me and the podcast, and it saves you a little money in the process. Thanks to those of you that have already done this, including Drew Harbaugh, Sarah Marino, and Ron Coscarosa, Jeannie Sumral Ahero, John Dodson, and Jeffrey Anderson. You're awesome. I've already taken these pledges and reinvested them into the show by purchasing a transcription service, which you can see at the end of each episode's show notes over on my blog at mattpainphotography.com. While it's not 100% accurate, it is pretty slick. Listeners can read and search through it interactively on the widget. The player highlights what word is playing, and you can click play from any word in the episode. It will. I will soon release a link that allows you to search the entire history of the podcast for keywords as well. Have fun with it. Okay, let's get to the show. Felix Inden, it's so awesome to finally uh, get to sit down and chat with you, man.
1: Yeah, pleasure is all mine. Awesome to be on this podcast myself that I've been listening to many hours of my life already.
0: <laughs> Hopefully you didn't feel like it was a complete waste of your time.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's actually quite inspiring to listen to so many different kinds of photographers and their experiences and everything. So I always feel like that feel like that's a uh, well-invested time
0: <laughs> awesome yeah well i think um i definitely think you have some value to add in the in the library of podcasts here just based on what i know about you already i think it's going to be a really fun conversation you know for people that might not know much about you tell us a little bit about yourself
1: yes so hi everybody who's listening i'm felix inden a german landscape photographer that's what i'm known for at least if somebody knows me. And I was born in Spain, lived five years in Spain, then I moved to Germany where I lived five years, then I moved to Chile where I lived five years, and then back to Germany where I've been spending my life up to now. And besides being a landscape photographer, I also am married and father of two boys. Oh, nice. How old are are your boys? So... Number 1 is 4 and <laughs> number 2 is quite close uh, he's 3 now yeah
0: oh man you got all kinds of adventures in front of you my my son is 13 almost 13
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it won't get boring in the next years i know that <laughs> no
0: but at least you have two of them so they can sort of entertain each other
1: <laughs> yes and especially with this strange or remarkable year 2020 with all the coronavirus stuff and the kindergartens were closed and suddenly these two boys really started to to play much more with each other they just nowadays they're like like two little friends that um (laughs) spend time with each other and have a lot of fun and i think that's just a lucky situation compared to have just one kid Oh, man. Without, without like a partner of similar age.
0: Gosh, I, I, I mean, my son's 12 and a half, almost 13, and he's he's pretty self-sufficient. I can't even imagine what it would be like to have like a four or five-year-old, you know, when they're supposed to be in school and you're trying to work and they're at home and you're, I, I just can't imagine. It's a, it's a challenging time we find ourselves in.
1: <laughs> Definitely, in on, on many ways, yes, yeah.
0: yeah yeah definitely well we don't want to spend too much time talking about how how much of a bummer 2020 is (laughs) because i feel like everyone feels that way a little bit
1: (laughs) yes we're we're halfway through so
0: (laughs) right it was so funny i was in a meeting today and uh, someone was like someone used like red and green fonts in this presentation they did and We were trying to figure out what they were doing. We're like, do you just hope it's Christmas so that 2020 will be over? And they're like, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nothing more than that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Let's
1: let's see what if there's something good coming out of this year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, man, one of the things I was uh, really interested about is you had mentioned something uh, when we were corresponding that – that your wife was the one that got you into photography. And I was really curious to hear how that even happens. Like, tell us a little bit about that story.
1: Yes, that's a fun story to remember for me. So Maria, my wife, has been photographing since we met, basically. So I'm with her even before we married. We've been together many, many years. And she was always taking lots of pictures. And I also had like a camera, like a point and shoot Cheap camera that I sometimes used. But at some point, her passion for photography really got bigger and bigger. And I found myself with her in Paris, walking through the city for hours and getting bored because she was stopping (laughs) everywhere, taking pictures. And I was basically just (laughs) like walking behind her, holding her back. And it annoyed me at some point, which (laughs) then made me grab her backup body a small Pentax body and I started taking some pictures of the Tuileries area it's like an area in Paris next to the river Seine it's very photogenic and I was of course far far away from doing the area justice or taking pretty pictures but suddenly it wasn't boring for me anymore (laughs) and after that trip I realized how fun photography seemed to be to me and then I jumped all over into photography started reading every photography book that i could get a grip on and taking portraits like i guess many photographers who are taking landscapes now went through a phase of finding out what they enjoy yeah i did (laughs) the exact same thing man yeah and then i was doing like an apprenticeship and every three minute i was reading photography books and suddenly i realized that my interest was shifting completely. So I was quite an avid <laughs> party party guy with all my big group of friends. And suddenly I realized I haven't gone to a party for a month because I simply enjoyed more to go out to take night pictures or roam through the city and take cityscape pictures and then sit down at home on the computer to learn Photoshop. And from this hobby it turned into like a little obsession c- couldn't think about anything else and spent more time for photography than i did back in the days when i was in, into cycling during those days i spent a lot of time training and then also preparing for these races and with photography it just influenced my whole day <laughs> so she, she got it started and then I have always enjoyed to be outside, hiking, to be in nature, just like you. Yeah. But there, when I was studying and everything, I didn't do much um, like landscape trips. But one day she said, let's go to Norway. You have to know that she's from Sweden originally. So we had to in Sweden. The Swedish landscape is beautiful, but it's not like totally spectacular. So I remember that one day I googled Norway and the first picture that showed up was a picture of Reine in the Lofoten Islands. And this was back in 2009. So then we just instantly booked the flight to northern Norway, had no money for big bookings, no money for rental car and anything. So we just went there and did a hiking slash hitchhiking trip where we just stayed in camping places and while camping sleeping in the tents yep. And that was really the, the moment where i realized wow the landscape is so nice so photogenic that landscape photography is just what kicks me the most and yes from from that moment on like i didn't um, shoot much more portraits or any other stuff than landscapes besides like commercial architecture shots
0: that's funny. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So, like, what were you doing for for work before you got fully engaged into photography?
1: Like, what was that transition like? I'm basically still in that t- transition, so I'm oh, okay, not. Cool. I'm, I'm, I'm not Do you doing. Like me? Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm not doing landscape photography full time, and I'm at the moment not even doing photography full time. So I'm also into. E sales and basically it's like the sales sector that I'm working in. Okay. The uh, the combination of both. Uh, let's say this year it was like um, a miracle. <laughs> so so w- without the normal job it would be a very stressy time now. Oh my gosh! Uh, right. And, and with it's fine. I can luckily say that I get over all this strange pandemic times quite okay. But right. as you surely know too, the combination of both things, when both are running okay, is quite insane. So to find the time to do both things justice is really
0: oh, tiring. <laughs> yeah, man, I feel you. That's uh it's funny because I some of my friends ask me that know kind of more of you know what I do on a broader scale. They're always asking me, like, how do you how do you do that? How do you have time to do that? And it's like, I don't know. Like, I've just built up a tolerance for being busy, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're basically busy nonstop. If you add family and <laughs> the kids, you're busy is right. like the main thing that happens in your life. <laughs> yeah. But it, I- also, it also gives you or me like a fool to try to combine both things. So,
0: <laughs> are you saying that we're a little crazy?
1: Yes, maybe I'm. Yeah, no, I agree. How to I say it in I English? Like maybe I'm like a masochist or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you Do you have aspirations to uh, to pursue the the photography full time, or has twenty twenty kind of put that on the backseat for you?
1: That's an interesting question because it's it's shifting over time. Mm-hmm. So when I started photography, I thought I have to do that professionally in order to be happy or to only do that. But when you realize all the stuff you have to do to be a full-time landscape photographer, that's actually something that very few in the landscape photography really are in my opinion. Um, Then you start, or I started to see things different. So if I can only take landscape pictures when I want it, where I want it and the way I want it without any stress, and have a totally relaxed life as a landscape photographer, I would definitely try to do that. But the reality in 2020 is a little bit different, as you know, from many people who have been on the show, is that the landscape photography part is the smallest part of this job that you end up doing in the end. And you really got to be traveling almost the whole year in order to keep up with the content creation and everything, and I'm like a couch potato too. So I enjoy to be in the Faroe Islands shooting some amazing landscapes. But I love being at home with my family too. And to combine both things is really hard, I think.
0: <laughs> it is hard. It's, um...
1: I, I, I can't give a great answer to this question because of course on one side I sometimes think, oh, I need to do this full time. But on the other hand, I also think I like to be able to say I'm not in the mood today. (laughs) I'm not in in the mood for social media or for producing anything creative today. And when I have such a day, I can still be in the mood to do my other job very well and Mm -hmm. perform very well in that part. And I also enjoy that other job. So it's, yeah. Yeah, that sounds. It's a mess, and and I never can decide for one side or the other, (laughs) because simply, yeah, it it's not as easy as okay, now I'm full time landscape photographer, and all I do is shooting photography. It's not the reality.
0: And I'm I'm assuming you're you're probably very similar to me in that like, you have you know like most people you have significant responsibilities in terms of having to. Pay for having a family, you know, so there's always that burden and that stress to always worry about. So for me, that's that's always the number one thing that's kind of, I don't want to say it holds me back. It just provides me with perspective in terms of what makes the most sense in terms of stability. <laughs> yes,
1: of course, that that's a factor that I know are days or that we have to keep in mind. An important factor if i was 20 years old now maybe i would think different about it but
0: right i was gonna say if you were 25 no not married no kids didn't even have a mortgage or whatever i'm sure you would be like yeah let's do this
1: (laughs) Yes, yes 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 i i would so i would also be lying to myself telling that i wouldn't but um I made my peace with it, so I don't need to call myself full-time professional landscape photographer in order to feel like uh, I'm a fulfilled photographer. And as you know, um, many of the people that I really um, find super inspiring aren't even professional full-time landscape photographers. And why? They can simply shoot when they want, they can edit when they want, and they don't have to be... They don't feel the pressure to to live from it, which also can make you more creative than if you just feel the the heavy weight on the shoulders that every step that you do in photography has to feed you and your family somehow.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said for you know not having those burdens in terms of revenue being tied to something because it eliminates a filter in terms of what you want to pursue, like. I almost never am thinking about, oh, this photograph isn't going to make me money, so I shouldn't try to f- make it. Like, no, I'm going to make this photograph even if it makes me no money, because I want to.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's also a luxury.
0: It is a luxury, but it's also... I don't know. I, I think
1: I think there, there's not a perfect answer to this for me, because maybe I wake up tomorrow morning and think again, oh... Why do I has to have to do all this stuff? I just want to go shooting. <laughs> I just want to edit pictures and I, I can't. I have to go through this work day and then sit down again when everybody's sleeping here then I get my <laughs> 2 or 3 hours of editing. Of of course it's like it it's it's keeping me from doing many things that would also be profitable for me. Right, because but Yeah, same. It's, I mean, an eternal balance, it's up and down. It's... And this year, as you mentioned before, of course I would be in a very bad situation at the moment because I only guided three photo tours in Lofoten for Lofoten tours and all the rest was cancelled so yeah, I would be very stressed by now and I'm not thanks to this other job so let's see, but maybe in five years everything changed, I don't know
0: Right, no, I think it's It's tough. I mean, I don't know. I think there's definitely um, pros and cons to both approaches. I have been doing the split like you have for, I mean, as as a serious pursuit for photography for me, I would say probably five, six years in terms of really thinking about monetization and, you know, making money out of it more than just being a hobby. So like, it's funny when people are like, oh, you have such a nice hobby. It's like, Mm, I mean, I have a separate <laughs> bank account and an LLC, like, is that still a, like I file my taxes differently than you do? Probably. So like, I don't know if it's a hobby at that point, but I also, it's also not my full-time job. So it's it's like a, such a, it's such a strange balance for people that work full-time, but then still are able to monetize their photography on the side. And, and you're constantly trying to think about where to focus your effort because I don't know. Do you ever feel like your your pursuit of photography has held you back in your professional career?
1: Not really because that's also the reason I guess that I'm not too motivated to to go into lens like into photography full time exclusively is that my other job is quite flexible. Uh-huh. I can take a lot of time off, and I don't work every day of the week, and so on. Right. So it's it's a good arrangement, but still, for example, if I think about monetizing my photography, at which I'm not good. So we will talk about that later. I, I may be okay in social media, but I'm bad at monetizing that. And um, of course, it's also a uh, Something in the way. So, if I was planning to write an ebook about composition, I can't just say, "Okay, for the next three weeks, I'm going to write this ebook and make it perfect." Right. But I will only have a few hours each day to do that, and those are in the night. And then I have to be motivated and eloquent and um, and feeling good to deliver a good quality mm-hmm. during those hours. And it doesn't happen every day that all these things come together. While a full-time photographer would just say, okay, next priority, finish this ebook, produce this tutorial. And then you put all the time that you have into that. And of course, that's great to that way you can be much more productive than doing both at the the same time. But it's a little bit like I, I made my peace with not putting the pressure on myself to that I have to be. full-time professional to be happy with what i do because it's easy to fall in that when you start photographing and your pictures start looking okay somebody you know will see them the the first question is oh are you a pro and when you say no it's like ah yeah okay it's like some some other hobby some some other hobby photographer if you say yeah i'm professional then Oh, cool. Oh yeah. That's a nice job. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. <laughs> so it's a weird pressure thing. Well, I, think I, think I, that... I lost track about what I really wanted to say. Oh no, you're um, good.
0: I I think what's interesting about your situation and my situation is um, what I've noticed is that you don't have to be a full-time professional landscape photographer to be taken seriously as one. Like, like we both have relationships with brands and we are teaching workshops and, you know, but we, you know, it's, I think it's a matter of, can you be professional in terms of how you act? You know, yeah. can you deliver the product you were asked to deliver? Can you, you know, can you provide value to somebody? I think whether or not you spend all of your time doing it is somewhat irrelevant in terms of. How people view us, at, you know. Eventually, I think it takes a while to get there, though.
1: Yes, no, yeah, but I think you're right. I think also brands or people who can hire one, they don't really care about what you are; they care about what you deliver.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even
1: if you're just a beginner, if you deliver the quality that's needed, then it will be fine.
0: <laughs> I agree.
1: So, and and something that. I thought about lately, I think I listened to Alistair Ben in his podcast or on his YouTube channel. Yeah. Who said something about amateur. Like right. amateur in in the beginning, it has like a little slightly negative notion. Right. I think. Sometimes it can have that negative notion, but if you analyze what it means that somebody who does something because he loves it, not yeah. because he has to do it, then it's actually something positive. So, <laughs> I sometimes came up with the term like luxury amateur <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, at the end of the day, like that's not necessarily the best branding <laughs>
1: <laughs> no it's a funny way of of no, okay, I know I get it, yeah,
0: <laughs> right well maybe, it so maybe in English
1: too, it's weird, yeah,
0: <laughs> I think some people uh sometimes in our profession anyway, it's I think there's this mystique that people will somehow take you more seriously if you say you're professional. Like I remember the first time I bought – this is embarrassing, but I remember I bought my first full-frame camera. It was a Nikon D800 back in 2011 or whatever. And I remember I was like, oh, I've got to get the battery grip too because, you know, that makes my camera bigger and I'm going to look – I'm going to look more professional and people are going (laughs) to take me more seriously. Because I have a battery grip on a full-frame can. You know, just stupid stuff we think about. And it's like, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. That stuff doesn't matter. It's all about, you know, how you treat people and whether or not you can produce the results that people expect you to produce.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. And if you can teach them the way that they expect, and yes, that's that's like a a time of shift that we are in. So it's just interesting to see what develops out of it. But I decided to take out that pressure for myself. I I have like enough things in my life that can put pressure on me. And for now, 2020 photography is what I do when I want to get my inner peace into my Zen mode. And then I just don't want to think about, how i will perform in here or in there so i've been also in this that we may talk later uh, that we may talk about later too i've also been in this social media pressure trap about producing the content and banging out the content enough and growing followers and this and suddenly you realize you like you're about to go crazy about it then you need to take like why
0: am i doing this (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly. And then I then I realized I just need to take out the pressure and the result is always that things get better again and more relaxed. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's something I've I've done kind of more consciously over the last two or three years is, you know, I still I still post on social media, but I don't you know, I'm not I'm definitely not like I have to post something every single day or people are gonna forget about me. I don't care about that you know i'll post something on instagram when i feel like it's something that i that i like that i want to share but other than that i'm not i don't feel compelled that i have to post something
1: yeah and that that's a good way of keeping you sane
0: <laughs> i think so i, I think, mean i guess yeah. you start measuring the return on an investment of your time and and the stress that you put on yourself and it's like when you think about the times when you did deliver daily content like did you really get more out of it in terms of sales or followers or like, what do you really have to show for yourself in order to, for all of that stress you put on yourself? That's, I think that's the metric we have to look at, you know?
1: Yes, definitely. I think it can be seen from two sides because on one thing that pressure can definitely develop into something negative that will make somebody be less creative than he could be. Sure. On the other hand, seeing it positive, it can also put a positive pressure on you. So like if you're normally editing one picture every two weeks and you then decide to grow some social profile, you will be editing every day to have enough content. That way your editing will evolve much more than compared to just editing a picture every two weeks.
0: No, that's a good point. It's
1: it's it's always like a balance that has to be kept.
0: Yeah. And I think it goes in waves, right? Like I remember back in 2013, 14, I felt like I had to post every day and I was trying to edit photos and I was doing some weird creative stuff and not not much (laughs) of any good, but it does, it does force you to grow. I I agree with that. I think that's a good perspective for sure.
1: That's what I learned for myself and something that people, especially on Instagram, like sent me a message like, Hey, how can I improve my photography? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the answer is very easy. Just do more photography, no matter <laughs> if taking I'm pictures sure or editing pictures. But th- that's the way I learned everything: is simply learning by doing, ingesting information, and then going out as much as possible to, yeah, to put that information <laughs> into use. So yeah, I agree. Everything I learned about composition and long exposures and whatever was while i was living in cologne in germany it's a big city so i was studying and didn't have the money to go to crazy places every month or something then i realized the best way to grow myself and my skills would be to simply use the city as a canvas Mm. and apply all the things that i was learning about landscape photography in the city Mm-hmm. So y- you can find a cool foreground and then play with the mid-ground and the background and see how each element interacts with with the other. You can wait for the right light and you can pr- try different focal length and see how they influence the the final picture. So that's something I always answer, no matter where you are. Try to find one subject that interests you and then go there as much as you can even if if it's just as a pond somewhere, go there and practice what you want to learn because the moment where you then go to an amazing landscape location, you can put that to use and you won't have to learn it then.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a really insightful. And I think, I mean, it sounds like you're very similar to me. I am I'm completely self-taught, you know, through trial and error and making billions of mistakes um, along the way. And, you know, and having some epiphanies along the road, and like, oh, that's how that works. Okay, cool. I know how to do that now. So, I think, I think that's great advice, man.
1: I think it's better to to learn something and to to mess up an image close to your home than yeah. going as a German to I don't know to the United States to shoot in the desert and then come back and realize, oops, I messed up every single shot that I thought would have been good right <laughs> just yeah the think, of clothes that's to great
0: point. yeah that's a great point especially if, especially if you're cash strapped and don't have a lot of resources like why waste the money to go to a location to learn photography I, i'm sure chris out of chicago is going to kill me for saying this but <laughs> like you should probably learn some fundamentals at home first so that when you actually get into the field you're not like you said. You don't miss out on the opportunity to capture the moment in that special location um, in a way that you feel more com- comfortable and confident about.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yep. So, not to uh, change topics or shift gears, but there was one thing that I, one thing I was really excited to ask you about um, as an American, as a dumb American that, that I am, and uh, you know, this is what I love about talking with people that are European. You know, you have such a multicultural background. You know, you were born in Spain, you're raised in Germany, you've lived in Chile, you're fluent in three languages. What I what I really would like to ask you is, how has that multicultural kind of upbringing and perspective of seeing the world, how has that influenced or, you know, how has that made you a better photographer?
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. How to, how <laughs> I know,
0: it's a lot to chew on.
1: <laughs> yeah, so...
0: Um, and maybe you've never let, thought about. Let,
1: let's parts. let's start as as a kid. So um, as a kid, I was terribly pissed about my parents when they suddenly told me we're moving to Chile in three months. <laughs> I, I was really mad because I was I just had made good friends in school and everything, and then they show me Chile on the map, and I thought like, whoa, what the this is like on the other end of the world? What what I what do I want there? <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and then the same again when we moved back to germany that was when i was about to turn 16 i would just had my peer group my friends in chile i was very used to live there and love to live there and then it's suddenly back to germany like you ask yourself why <laughs> right. but in in the end i'm very grateful for it because all these changes of location changes of yeah, groups of people that I had to interact with changes of groups of friends. I think it just made me flexible so I can quite quickly adjust to something new and then try to make the best out of it. Because that's the only thing that you have left as a kid. If you're forced to move to another continent as an adult, that can be much more difficult than as a kid, I think. And that how it influenced my photography I think it definitely influenced the way that I am while guiding workshops where every 20 minutes something unexpected happens and you have to arrange with a completely new situation. That's what I'm quite good at, like being spontaneous and all that stuff. And it influenced my photography, I guess, because on especially the time in Chile where I lived with my parents in Concepcion. That's like 500 kilometers south from Santiago de Chile. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the second biggest city of Chile where we lived. Anyway, we did many um, trips because in Chile, you have three-month summer vacation. And my father's job gave him quite the time to to go on longer vacation trips. We went with... Uh, with a van went to north chile went to southern chile to patagonia and everything where i very much regret that i wasn't into photography back then <laughs> i bet <laughs> as a 14 year old i could have taken the massive unique bangers back in those days <laughs> i i didn't care for photography so didn't have um but, of course, I, I saw many beautiful places in a time of my life where it has an influence on how you develop later on. So I think I had that love for nature and love for amazing places in me from the way I was living already. Mm-hmm. How that like translates into my pictures, I can't really tell you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just wondering, you know... It seems to me like someone who's more well traveled and has a multicultural background. It seems like you might have a different uh, eye or appreciation for things that other people may not notice. I mean, I'm just speculating, but you know, me myself, I'm always drawn to the stuff that like resonates with how I grew up. So whenever I see a really amazing mountain scene, I'm like, yes, yeah, it's awesome. Amazing. <laughs> but I might miss out on, you know, something really obvious in the foreground that is just as amazing. But some, I feel like if you have more of that diverse background and experience, it might have a slightly different influence on what you were able to see.
1: Yes. I think that combined with how to say it, like growing as a photographer, the maybe the, the photographic view is what's most important, and those both factors maybe interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Like, um, when you just arrive at some place, walk around without your camera first and start thinking about how to portray the place. Maybe these it's like a subconscious thing going on in the background.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because I feel like. Not up until the last couple of years I've ever have I ever thought about, hmm, how do I portray this place? I I'm always more like, how do I make a good photograph here? You know, it's so <laughs> much more simple. But uh I feel like that approach of how do I really represent this place visually, I think that's a a really a um just asking yourself that question before you even pick the camera up, I think that leads to some really interesting imagery.
1: Yes, I mean it's not always. I'm I, I'm not always able to do that. If if I'm at a very photogenic photogenic location and I arrive when there's insane light and everything, then I rarely <laughs> manage to to put on the handbrake for myself and and <laughs> yeah. try to relax and then think about that consciously. Then I'm just boom. I start shooting, <laughs> but. Yeah. That's why I prefer to be at places for a little longer time and also to return to the same place over and over again. That's more my way of shooting. So if you know my imagery, you will have seen many shots from Norway, from the Faroe Islands, some from Patagonia, some from Germany. But I'm not somebody who's like jumping around the whole world, shooting this place and then the next one and then this and this. I like to return to places and that's when I get my inspiration and when I get the feeling mm. that I maybe manage some rare times to capture what I think is the mood of that place.
0: Yeah. I feel like, because um, I'm kind of the same way for the most part. I mean, I every every autumn I feel like I I do kind of the same, I go to the same, you know, areas of colorado here where i live and try to capture fall colors and different different ways you know and it evolves over time but the more you get to know a place the more you feel like you're able to tell a story or see things in a different way other than just like oh that's a pretty scene i'm gonna shoot that like it becomes more of a relationship that you have with a place
1: exactly that that's what i always try and i, I love your shots of your home area over there i mean when when I think about the United States for landscape photography, it's always almost mind boggling what crazy variation of different spots you have over there. Yeah. And I think I think it was even in your podcast that Alex Noriega he said like why should I travel anywhere? <laughs> 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 we we got everything we need here. <laughs> that's I, I think close. that's true. I mean, yeah.
0: yeah. So what is it? What is it about um, you know the Arctic Circle, like Lofoten and the Faroe Islands? What is it about those places that keeps drawing you back?
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> I have to think how to to put it into words. It's it's more like a feeling thing. Yeah. So every time I've been in those places, I realized I just felt very great about being there. Then you can. Look over the fantastic natural features that these places offer. For example, Lofoten Islands, you have these, they look huge. They're not huge, actually quite tiny. I think the highest mountain is a little over a thousand meters elevation, but these peaks rise from sea level. Right. So, And, and that's quite impressive. And it's not only having mountains rising off the sea. I think that's something you find in many places worldwide. But you have the combination of these Caribbean-looking beaches with insane mountain backdrops and right. then also very hikeable areas. That's something that I I tried to put more effort in to go hiking in Lofoten Islands. And, and suddenly mm-hmm. a place that's totally overshot highly iconic, and highly presented on social media. And you find new spots every 10 minutes. Hmm. So um, I have this fascination of being in Norway because I like the culture, I love the views, and it feels like almost being at home when I'm there. And it just doesn't get boring at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and the Faroe Islands is the same. So you have this um, rugged and very primordial landscapes and at the same time, insanely harsh weather that can create amazing light, of course. And the experience of being out there in such a place like battered by the winds, seeing the light firing off, that's something that will always keep me going back. I think Mm -hmm. my photography approach has also changed a little bit with every trip. But I'm sure I'll return over there as soon as I can. Yep. Because awesome. at, at, the, at the moment it's quite difficult. I can't go into Norway, for example. I'm not allowed to <laughs> because of the pandemic.
0: Well, at least um, you're not an American where you can't go anywhere because. Yeah, I,
1: I you know. Like last week, you these new rules for Americans came. But that's yes. just. Uh, it will go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, you know, I'm curious, you know, you've been going back and back, back to back, you know, Lofoten and Faroes, you've been going there for, sounds like probably about a decade. How have you seen those places change over that time? And how has your experience shifted over time?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. So especially in Lofoten, I've been Many, many times. I can't even remember how often I've been in Lofoten, if I count every trip, also for workshops. It's just been many times. And during our first trip, Maria and me had basically every place for ourselves. And as I told you before, we didn't have a rental car. So I, I knew before that trip that I wasn't going to be able to simply go to every location that I wanted to see because we probably wouldn't manage to get there in time by hitchhiking and everything. So I just focused on the spots that I had in reach by hiking, and I I, I spent that trip shooting everything but not the iconic spots. (laughs) It's (laughs) It's quite fun in the end, because normally you think when you go to a place the first time, you go collect the icons and make sure that you get some some banging images but i did the opposite so we really experienced the whole place for ourselves and then in 2013 i was there for the first time on a winter trip because i saw images of the northern lights and i fell in love instantly and really wanted to take uh, pictures of the aurora borealis too um i was still studying i had no money i only afforded the (laughs) <laughs> the flight basically <laughs> borrowed <laughs> like, like a storm-proof um, Hilleberg tent from a friend. I even borrowed the winter sleeping bag from him <laughs> and just went there and stayed in the tent. It's also quite a fun experience because when I arrived, the first snowstorm system moved in.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: And I remember that I picked up a cab in the, at the airport and told him to drop me at some beach where I wanted to shoot, he was just nodding his head and asking me, you really want to stay here in the tent? (laughs) Look, dude, uh, here's my card. That's my number. Please don't hesitate to call me whenever you want in the middle of the night. (laughs) Call me and I go out here and I get you back. (laughs) I told him, I know, I'm used to this, I'm fine. (laughs) I um, arrived there with the snow already starting lightly pitched my tent at a totally stupid place on frozen <laughs> ground. <laughs> and Six hours <laughs> later, I, I was laying inside that tent, couldn't sleep for one single second because the wind was really like almost throwing the, the tent with me inside around. I had to wake up every half an hour to remove the snow from <laughs> from the tent. And I basically <laughs> cursed myself. I was like... You are such an idiot. Like, <laughs> why did you do this? What do you want here? What do you want here? Look outside. Open the tent, look outside. There's gray sky, insane wind, heavy snowfall. Nothing seemed to be photogenic at all. And I was really having like a, like an interior crisis. But that storm moved and I evacuated the beach and went to a hostel the day later because it just was too intense. I saw even uh, trucks were dropped by the wind that day. They closed oh all, the, all the bridges on the island, so it was really rough. And I escaped from my camping plan, basically. <sighs> and after two year, two days of very bad weather, suddenly the winter paradise unfolded. So I went back with my tent Um had amazing light, super nice photography conditions. Got my first Northern Light shots, and the trip was very worth it in the end on many levels. And that was 2013. Nice. And fast forward two years. Suddenly it's 2015, and I'm back there again in winter time, which is it had always been a time where only very few people go to Lofoten. Only crazy fishing nerds go there in winter, <laughs> and mountaineers, like ski, free skiing people, had been going there in winter. But suddenly something changed, like the Northern Lights tourism had um, was born. <laughs> right. Well,
0: this- camera sensors changed. That's what happened.
1: Yeah, I think um, the presence on social media of these pictures Mm -hmm. exploded and the workshop scene. I think even when I started going to Lofoten, there was already some people doing workshops there, but very, very, very few. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and then suddenly um, I was standing at the same beaches to shoot the Northern Light that I had been two years before, completely on my own. And I was really getting annoyed by the huge amount of people with headlamps and big LED lights and everything, like light painting the foreground. And something had changed, yes. And this this was um, like the big tourism influx to Lofoten in winter. Yeah. Yeah. But this sounds terribly negative at some – somehow – but the truth is that you that you have so many locations out there that even in two thousand nineteen you could have your own peace of mind there, no matter which season. But of course, if you go to that bridge in Hamnoi, I can like I will give you an image of that place so that listeners can see what I'm referring to. They have one hundred percent seen that uh, <laughs> that picture. Because everybody who goes to Lofoten nowadays mm-hmm. takes it and and there you can really if if it's peak workshop time, then you can have easily eighty people standing on that bridge taking the same mm. picture
0: I'm yeah. curious how does how does that make you feel
1: <sighs> it's like a little bit bipolar maybe because I am guiding workshops myself there too mm-hmm. And, and these workshops have been like the biggest part of my photography-related income, and right. my, my Instagram profile and all these things. So I have really profited from posting pictures of these places. So I'm nobody to say this sucks or anything because I would throw it would make me look very bad. So while I can be annoyed when I want to have my own piece at some place. Uh, at the same time, it's there for everybody of us. I don't own it, so I can't judge what's happening there. And I can understand every single photographer who wants to to make a living from it and offers some workshop somewhere. So I am not really judging it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, I can just say that if you know the place well, you can still go to Lofoten in any season and really feel the amazing uniqueness of these landscapes. But if you just stick to the postcard spots, then you probably will have many people around you the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But it's 2020. So right now there's nobody there besides the locals. <laughs> right.
0: They're probably like, finally.
1: <laughs> and and I think the the travel will probably take quite a while to get back to this pre-corona status.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean... Someday it'll get back to there. I think. Um, well, it's cool, man. I, I, you know, I feel kind of the same way about <clears throat> some of my favorite places here in Colorado. It's, it's like, man, it would have been really great to have experienced this spot 30 years ago when no one knew about it. And, um, yep, but at the same that. time, like that's not the reality we're in nowadays with social media and the free flow of information. Just... I
1: find that super interesting because when I talk to people from the United States and I tell them, "Oh, yeah, it was super nice, super good light," but we were thirty people at the spot and I didn't find my peace of mind, they start laughing and say, "Like thirty people? That's nothing. Like when when it's crowded in the United States at some popular iconic location." then it's suddenly 200 to 300 people standing there that just come for photography. Yeah, <laughs> it can Grand be Canyon I think, or something.
0: Yeah. And it, I don't know. It's, I think I don't want to say this, but I'm going to, but I think those are just, it's people that are wanting to, they're trying to get something out of photography in different ways. You know, I think yeah. for me, like I don't get much out of photography when I'm, I'm surrounded by a bunch, a bunch of people, even if it's the most amazing scene ever, it's it just doesn't do it for me. So you know, if that if that's cool, you like that. That's that's sweet. I just I can't do it. That just really bothers me. I get yes, grumpy. I, I'm
1: the same. I mean that that's also why why I um, for example love the Faroe Islands because over there the tourism of course also increased, but there's many of those places that are the best that you only reach. Doing quite some hiking, sure, and annoying hiking because it's most often going through boggy stuff a lot of the time, (laughs) and then it starts getting more mountainous if that's an English word, like it's get a little bit steeper and everything, so it can be quite um strenuous to go hiking on the Faroe Islands, but yeah, even if you go there during peak tourism pre-corona time then you could still easily reach places where you're alone you are alone in the wind with that massive view and that's a special feeling that i always chase
0: me too man yeah. absolutely even if it's not a good photo you know
1: yes exactly yeah. And that's yeah
0: one of the things you have on your website, you you know, I think every photographer has something on their website that talks about how they would describe their photography. And one of yours kinda of caught my attention because you describe your photography as immersive landscape photography that, quote, evokes feelings, either positive or negative. And I really just wanted to hear from you, like what what does that mean to you and you know why is that important to you to have your photography be described as immersive
1: yeah (laughs) yeah there you picked the right question because it's super hard to pick a description for your own work (laughs) at least it is isn't it i i'm very not good at talking too much about myself and about my pictures but that's like a term like this immersive photography i just had the feeling that when i many of my shots are taking under rather bad weather or dramatic weather conditions and i just thought about trying to explain that that i want to freeze one frame of what i'm seeing there and then try to Put in as much emotion as I can through the moment when I take that picture and then also the way I edit it, like um, the typical tricks that everybody can do, um, going from like guiding the viewer's eye. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what I like with dramatic weather is that you can emphasize the contrast between bright places and dark places Mm -hmm. or, or spots in the image. And I just, I would be very happy if people look at my work and take some seconds or even a little bit longer to enjoy the picture instead of just swiping by. Because as you know, I'm also on Instagram and I don't have much illusions about it. The people don't spend much time watching the image. But if I can make somebody who goes to my homepage, look at one image and then think about what he's seeing there, think about what's happening there. Maybe feeling that he would have preferred to not be there under such conditions. <laughs> or maybe thinking, wow, this must have been insane standing there in the strong wind with that bad weather incoming. Then if I manage to do that with one people a day, then I'm happy already. Mm. And yes, immersive I tried to call that to to um because I want people to see the image and then have like a little continuation of the scene in their head. Just think about it for a while.
0: Mm. I'm curious when you're uh, in the field uh, making photographs, do you spend time, uh, you know, thinking about a deeper meaning about your photography? Like, is it, are you wanting to convey or communicate something through your photography that maybe you want people to feel or
1: to understand? I think yes, but I don't think I'm very good at it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dude, me neither. I, I'm with you, brother. I, I, honestly, I think it's funny when I think about how do you become a better photographer once you've kind of, you know, I feel like we all hit this point where we feel pretty good about our abilities as a photographer, but we feel like we could be better, but we can't really put our finger on it. I think that's the, like that's like the next level is how do I communicate something with more meaning in this photograph and
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
0: And it I don't know for I don't know about you, but for me it's I feel pretty good if I've dialed in, you know, the exposure triangle and got everything in focus and I have a good composition. I'm like, whoo I got it." <laughs> you know, like <laughs> thinking about conveying something with a deeper meaning. It's like, "Oh, I That didn't even come to mind yet, so maybe someday I'll get
1: there. I've been thinking about this quite a while because I mentioned him before, Alistair Ben. He's got a cool YouTube channel. Yeah, I love it. He had um, interviews with quite some legends that nobody gets to interview, like with Mark Adamus. (laughs) Right, right. Of of course, a big name. And also with Guy Tal. And when I listened to Alistair and Guy Tal, I just – i didn't feel bad about myself but but i felt am i really so shallow <laughs> you know what i mean because i sometimes I also just go out without anything on my mind that i want to convey i just go out to go into my zen zone feel good and take pictures that make me happy afterwards so i'm right. i'm not a very like philosophical photographer maybe maybe that comes in the next 10 years <laughs> when I'm getting older. Right. But um, I would lie if I tell you now that every every image that I take has to convey some special meaning. I mean, it, it means something to me, but on location, I don't think about that too much. Mm-hmm. That's Maybe it's no, more like um, subconsciously happening, but it's not like mm-hmm. I actively think. Now, of course, if I get the task to to show a place and the picture should get used to tell a story about pollution or about whatever then i was think about how to convey something that makes sense to tell that story mm-hmm. but um I, I'm, I'm really quite when i'm shooting on my own i'm quite it's like a little meditation <laughs> going on
0: i know t- totally and, i, and get I it.
1: don't think too much at all yeah
0: yeah, no, I feel the same way. Um, it's just, I think, I don't know, for me, like after the fact, I'm looking through the photos and I'm trying to think like, oh, am I trying to convey something here? It's like, I think sometimes it's like that That might be trying to, you're trying to force something that really isn't there sometimes, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I can relate, yes. Oh, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad I'm not only <laughs> one. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure, same... I'm sure there's many of us, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think some you know, it's good to hear that other people struggle with that. Well, hey, so I wanted to ask you about uh you know, building your following on Instagram. I know you talked about it a little bit earlier about being under the pressure and you know, posting every day and you know, the pros and cons of being under that pressure. But uh I'm curious, you know, you have over two hundred thousand Instagram followers and like <laughs> yeah. I was curious was that an active goal to try to obtain as many followers as possible did that happen organically, and then like what strategies did you use to to arrive at that?
1: yeah, so to answer that's like many things in my life and my photography one thing leads to another, like without thinking too much about it actively. Um, I grew that Instagram profile to the biggest degree during the time where we were waiting for our first son. And as you have kids too, you know, that women are quite sleeping a lot during, um, yeah, during that phase. So I just had a lot of time to my disposal <laughs> and I was sitting on the sofa, on the couch a lot, um, posting pictures and interacting with people. So my profile grew organically during, let's say, 2016 and 2017, during a time where I massively enjoyed Instagram as a platform. It was like a really nice interaction. It it felt like constantly being interacting with friends that care for the same things. (laughs) Maybe sounds stupid, but that's what it felt like. Like I spent Three hours easily engaging with people and chatting with people and looking at images, getting inspired by other images. And During that time, I posted, let's say, one image every two days or something. I I didn't manage to edit enough material to be posting daily. But on any social media platform, the more you put in, the quicker you will grow. I think that's the same for Instagram or for Facebook or for YouTube or whatever Uh, following that. If, when you actively decide I want to have more Instagram followers, that decision will be quite important because you will be deciding for spending a lot of time on Instagram, unless you are like a big legend of photography. You know, like um, if, if you're Mark Adamus, you grow quickly even without putting in much effort. But if you're just a random photographer, like I always say about me, then you can still get profiles growing if you put in the time. But but you have to enjoy that. Like if, if from the beginning, I would have had the feeling about posting to Instagram that it's not just some annoying thing that I have to do. I know myself exactly. Things that purely annoy me, I won't do them. <laughs> So then, then it wouldn't have ever happened. So best is to embrace what you want to do and enjoy it at that time and interact with like-minded people. I think I have one YouTube video up about growing on Instagram hmm. and also blog post on my homepage. And what basically also goes a little bit against what I just said is that after 2018 Instagram changed with this new algorithms that are controlling the platform and with the um so the feed system changed it's Mm -hmm. not showing you the images
0: oh it's yeah it's not um, not non-chronological yeah Yeah. exactly Uh
1: so um nowadays to grow on Instagram you have to put in much more work than you had to in the years where I got the Biggest amount of followers. So then I stopped putting in much time into it after my second son was born because I just had more important stuff to do.
0: <laughs> right.
1: And Then I had the profile without growing like I was at. I think 130,000 followers for over a year, and I was doing the same that I w- that I did before, only. Uh-huh less times per week so i just posted once per week or twice per week and then i think in 2019 suddenly something changed again was the moment where i started doing more instagram stories again right and that's an important tool to let people know a little bit more about you as an artist Mm -hmm. so i agree people will either think oh this guy's a total douchebag (laughs) I'm unfollowing him (laughs) or if they really enjoy what to do they will probably get a more personal connection to you and then they engage a little bit more with the stuff you post and wait for things that you present to them now comes the big disclaimer I'm I'm terrible at monetizing this so I have 200,000 followers and they don't serve me for much (laughs) Because I don't want to be an influencer and to be like a somebody who's always just pushing out things to make money from people right so if I ha- didn't have my normal job, I would have to monetize this profile, and in the future i if I find the time to produce tutorials or ebooks or whatever, I will definitely try to sell those using my social media profiles of course sure But yeah i never had the motivation to grow an IG- instagram profile to be able to sell product x or product y it just happened because i was spending the time on that platform anyway
0: mm-hmm. well if i'm hearing you what you're saying is that it's it's more than just posting, like you need to interact with people on a regular basis because that's, I mean, honestly, that sends signals to the algorithm that you're engaged and then they should engage with you. And I think stories is a great way to do that because um, if you can create content through your stories that causes people to send you messages or even just interact with your story, that then signals the algorithm to show that person your stuff more frequently.
1: Yes, totally. Totally. If if yep. if you get people to send you a message replying to one of your stories, that can help you to um tie the <laughs> tie the bound to that follower and this strange algorithm will definitely show your content to those people more often. Right. Than, than if you don't do that. Yeah.
0: Yep. Well, maybe that's a good segue because we're both in this um I don't even know what you would even call it, like a movement or a, a conglomeration of photography brands known as global elite photographers. It's headed up by Ka. And what, how did you get involved in that? And kind of what is your, kind of what is, what is your view of kind of the global elite photographers and what that's about?
1: Yeah, so Global Lead Photographer is basically just a movement of yeah, obviously photographers that work together with brands, in this case mostly with PhotoPro, a tripod brand. Yep. And um I was or I've been guiding a lot for and together with um Kawai Ling. Yep. He lives in New Jersey and together with Sam Wong from Taiwan, he is. Yeah, I think that's really And cool. yeah, basically we tried, we, we thought about the typical ambassador way of working. That's um, the typical thing nowadays with most of the brands is that the interaction between brand and photographer is quite low. And it's pretty clear that in the end, only the brand will be profiting And the photographer only profits really little besides maybe getting a set of filters and a filter holder that he could buy himself for a few hundred bucks. So with global elite photographer, we are trying to build a system where the brands get promoted and the photographers make a good cut too. That's the main objective of this, which is work in progress basically. And then we, um, gathered a lot of very talented photographers including you and hope that in the future you'll hear a lot more about this but then some pandemic came into the way (laughs) (laughs) because we had a lot of plans of um, like meetings with the people also maybe going overseas with people to um, hold events photography events and all kind of stuff that completely got blocked this year of course right so (laughs) right now we have a very big group of very talented people and i don't want to spoil too much about it but once we can we will have a lot of fun stuff coming up (laughs) for everybody involved
0: yeah, I know um, right before the pandemic, you guys had held a couple of meetups and workshops over in, I think it was in, in Norway, you guys did a trip and it looked like a lot of fun.
1: Yes, that was really cool. But um, yet to be honest, this year, um, the, the the amount of people that came to Lofoten was already much, um, was diminished. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... Um, we had these workshops in late February and the pandemic was already going on in China, in Taiwan, Singapore, in in Asia, basically. So a lot of people had uh, pulled out of those trips last second already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So while it was a big amount of fun that we had during these workshops, it was still... Already cut down by corona a little bit. <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. So uh,
0: stupid coronavirus. <laughs> yeah,
1: stupid twenty twenty. What do you, what do we want to tell about it? Yeah.
0: I know. <clears throat> but well I mean hope
1: that uh I, I hope better times for all these projects that involve international travel of people from different continents meeting in a rather small space like a workshop van or something. Right or e- even going to a big photography fair—that is—is also one thing we will do in the future with this project. Um, at the moment, all this is is just stopped down.
0: Yeah, hit the pause button. Uh,
1: and um, I actually, I, I'm—it's an interesting topic because I don't know when this will change.
0: I know it's <laughs> hard to say.
1: It's really hard Hard to say say. if there's going to be a workshop season 2021 in the winter. I don't know if you see the United States right now. And as you know, many workshop clients worldwide come from the United States at the moment. They're not even allowed to travel to Europe. So that's difficult. And we don't know at the, at this time, if we ourselves are going to be able to travel, So I haven't been on a real landscape photography trip since those Lofoten workshops. Hmm. And I just today, like a few hours ago, I booked a flight to Iceland for September. And I'm really excited about that. But I don't know if it's going to (laughs) happen. Right. You know, because um, at the moment, the rule is that I have to get tested for COVID-19 at the airport in Reykjavik. And then you have to wait until your result is in. I'd be in family vacation in Sweden before of that. I told you my wife is from Sweden. So we have access to a little house on the coast, which is obviously very nice. But Sweden at the moment is like the country in Europe with the worst COVID numbers. So (laughs) it's a whole mess. If, If I get it one week before the Iceland trip, I can obviously forget about the Iceland trip right no travel insurance will cover that because they all have these exceptions for earthquakes and pandemics like right in normal years you you read that you think ah yeah okay bullshit no it doesn't matter suddenly suddenly you're in the middle of it
0: (laughs) that's right well cool man so who would you recommend us having here on the podcast
1: Yes, so I thought about this because with your podcast being so huge nowadays, you had so many artists, especially I think the whole American scene is covered already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I focused on my European friends simply because besides Albert Dross and Nicolas Alexander Otto, I can't remember you had much of them. Yeah, it's, so it's the tough. <laughs> first one I'll recommend is Kilian Schönberger. A German photographer, a great dude. Also, very, he's like a thinker with a camera. (laughs) So, he has a lot to tell, I think. And he's very good at um, talking about different topics that I'm not so good talking about. Like, for example, nature conservation and stuff plays a big role in his photography. Okay. His portfolio is quite outstanding because he spends almost all his time shooting Germany. Oh yeah! Like, uh, instead of going to Norway, Iceland, and whatever like I do, he just travels 70k kilometers a year through Germany, chasing conditions like foggy conditions. He's like the, the fog. <laughs> I call him the fog minister.
0: The fog master. <laughs> exactly.
1: So his portfolio is really impressive and great, dude. Then Tobias Heck who's known online as air pixels. He's also somebody I can only recommend because the imagery is stunning. And even if nowadays many people are taking drone shots or aerials, I think his stuff stands out. Funny guy from Sweden. Then we have Stian Klu yeah. from Norway. He lives very close to Lofoten and he was like the first Norwegian I had ever contact to. And I think we met each other online at the stage where we were both starting to get half decent at landscape photography. And then I stopped at that stage (laughs) and I'm still there. (laughs) I
0: was going to say that's where I'm at still.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But Stian is really, um, I find him super inspiring because he's able to reinvent himself constantly. He lives up there in these fantastic places. So in the beginning of his photography, he, of course, profited from having those great locations just next to where he lives. Sure. Shot a lot of the wide-angle material there. But if you look at the images he takes nowadays, it's totally different. Mm.
0: Um, I love to and, see how people progress over the years too. I think that's really fun to see.
1: Yeah, I think he is very interesting in those regards. Then we have Ariel Teitmann. He's business partner of Stian Clue for Low Tours, which oh okay, I didn't know that a tour company that I also guide for. So they book me as a guide, and Ariel is for me Mr. Aurora Borealis. Who he's one of the very first people who managed to take insane images of the Northern Lights during a stage where camera sensors were not as easy to handle as nowadays. Sure. And yeah, besides that, he's an avid mountaineer. So I think you guys would get along fine regarding hiking and um, (laughs) mountains and everything. And I think nobody knows the Norwegian mountains better than Aril Heidmann. And then I have here Bruno Pisani on my list, a young photographer from Italy, also an avid hiker and climber. I mean, we mentioned it before. He's like a, let's say, the young buck, <laughs> very inspiring style of photography, and he's able to go to places where few other photographers will ever get. Because
0: yeah, not only that, but like it seems like every time he goes out, he gets bonkers conditions and these amazing places. I'm always like, dude, come on, that's <laughs> not fair.
1: <laughs> yeah, if I just imagine to to climb those ridges with a heavy backpack on my back, I. I I wouldn't survive that. <laughs> so I'm sure he can also tell you some fun, interesting stuff.
0: Well, and speaking of YouTube, he's putting out some really interesting stuff on YouTube.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think he has a good niche there and he's also able to produce the videos because he's doing it for since some years already. So right. interesting guy to, to, to look at. And I have those videos running <laughs> when I'm doing some work sometimes just dreaming about being in those mountain places. Yeah. Cool, so, man. these are my five recommendations for now. I think I could go on for ah, hours, man, these, but um, these yeah.
0: These are great recommendations, man. I appreciate it. And i um love to get, uh, I know I've already had some conversations with Arald and I think even Bruno a couple of times. So, we just got to pester him and get him on the show. <laughs>
1: yeah i i hope that happens i'll be gladly listening to them
0: awesome well man felix is there anything else that you wanted to share in terms of what you got coming up or something that you want to promote
1: Mm, no (laughs) maybe maybe that's stupid i just don't want to to stress too much like i i hope everybody enjoyed me talking it's 3.46 a.m. here now so I hope my brain was still functioning correctly (laughs) I invite everybody to to check out my work to have a look at my YouTube channel where some new video will pop up soon and then I think instead of promoting myself I close with wishing everybody the best for this crazy year and I hope we can get things back to normal someday soon
0: me too (laughs) Alright, well thanks to Felix for coming on to the podcast this week. And bravo to your ability to juggle a full-time job with your photography, family, and business pursuits. I can attest that this is not easy to do at all. I love hearing about how people can roll up their sleeves and accomplish a lot of amazing things. Thanks for inspiring us, Felix. Alright, well let's chat about what we have coming up. It is a packed schedule. Next up on the podcast is a photographer living in Portland, Oregon jared armijo jared suffers or i should say benefits from a condition known as chromesthesia which aids him in his approach to photography we had a really fun chat about that and i learned a lot about it we have a lot of other amazing episodes planned for this summer and autumn including mark munch eric bennett cole thompson interior designer nikolai alexander rob hirsch and my friend Michael Remke, as well as Benjamin Williamson, and a lot more. Well, do you have an idea on how to collaborate with me here on the podcast? Leave me a direct message on Instagram or send me an email through my website. I'd love to hear from you. All right, well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.